Welcome to the Transition Bridge Podcast, the podcast that will help you embrace, grow, and be transformed by the transitions of life. Now here's your host, Debbie Ronka. Hi, I'm Debbie Ronka, your host of the Transition Bridge Podcast. You know, it's my desire as a transition life coach to help you understand the process of a transition because there really is a process. There's things that you go through. Sometimes you get stuck in the messy middle. And I love to take you through that process and bring you to a place of wholeness and clarity. This podcast is about understanding the purpose and the power of transition. It's a place for all of us to come and learn and to embrace and to grow and to be transformed by the transitions in life. You know, transitions come in all shapes and sizes. Some are easy, but most are really difficult. And they're difficult because of the nature of the transition. There's a lot of change when transition comes into our life. We're confronted with the unknown. There's so much ahead, so many critical decisions that need to be made. This is what really makes it difficult. But the most difficult of all transitions is what I call the sudden loss transition. You suddenly lose a loved one. You suddenly lose your marriage. You suddenly lose your home or your career. This is the transition that you never saw coming. This is the transition you really never wanted to experience. The one that you're never prepared for. You see, this kind of transition is filled with so much shock and trauma and a lot of grief. You see, other transitions, we can kind of see them coming. When you think about you're going to retire, you know, at a certain age and a certain time in your life, you're going to retire. And yes, there's preparation. There's mindsets to go through. There really is a lot of change of what will be my unique contribution now. There are issues to face, but you have time to prepare, or at least you see it coming. It's like being the empty nester. You know, one day those children are going to move out of your house. You see it coming. Yes, you're going to deal with the issues of your identity. What's next for me in life? What's this new season going to be all about? There's a lot to process in that transition. But again, we could see empty nester coming. We can, in a sense, prepare for that. But when you have a sudden loss transition, there's no preparation. It is the unwanted and intrusive transition into our lives. As I share, we're not prepared for, and it takes us by surprise. We're blindsided. Well, today I have a very special guest that is joining us to share about his personal story and his sudden loss, his sudden loss transition of health, his story. It's riveting. It's heartbreaking. And I'm telling you, you will experience every emotion that you can imagine when you hear his story, but out of this story, hope and resilience was born. 
This is one of the most powerful stories I've ever heard. And it's with great excitement that I get to introduce to you my very, very special friend, Boomy Samuel. Hi, my friend. How are you today? Hey, baby. I'm with you, so I'm doing really good now. It's, the day has got brighter. So yeah, it's a little cold in New York City. It's a little chilly. It's about you know, 25, 30 degrees. So it's getting that winter, fall going into winter time. So but I'm good. I'm good. Glad now, it, it, isn't it interesting? Even nature has transitions. <laughs> nature is the transition, right? If we were, I guess, if um, we were more aware and observant, we would know that transitions are always going to happen because nature shows us that every day, right? We go that's, through the seasons all the time. That's so true. We can't escape transitions, can we? They're, they're everywhere around us in nature and in our personal life. Absolutely. Well, I know you have an incredible story to share. And before I do that, I would love to share with our listeners who you are, some of the things that you've accomplished. So let me read your bio. So Boomy Samuel is an educator and an entrepreneur from New York City, and he's currently living in between New York City and California. His direction and his purpose derive from an upbringing in the vibrance of New York City with its culture, its lifestyle, and the institution building as a core principle within his own personal family. Bumi is a deep believer in the human ability to transform challenges. Mr. Samuel's vision, his work ethic, and practice is just evidence of all of this. Education has been a necessity in his family and a bridge to personal development and a pathway to opportunity. Entrepreneurship is in the fire of in his belly. Truly, he is one of the most amazing entrepreneurs I have met. That combination makes Bumi a learner. He is a pursuer of his very best self. Mr. Samuel serves as an advisor to youth, to the community, and to forward-thinking organizations. Bumi's overall mission and purpose are to develop the capacity in people, in organizations, and communities to transform suffering and struggle in this world. In 2014, Boomy Samuel suffered a 15,000-foot skydiving malfunction and fell. He fell, resulting in severe injuries and challenges. I need to read that again because it, I think it just blows your mind when you hear that you fell 15,000 feet from a skydiving accident. And after spending years in rehabilitation and in all the different rehabilitation environments and therapies, you have begun sharing your story of your challenge and your belief to audiences all around the world. Boomi currently spends his time advising, mentoring, marathoning, speaking, Hmm. writing, and modeling the power of the human spirit to live, to love and to transform all circumstances. Boomi, it's an honor and a privilege to have you here today. 
to hear your heart, to hear your story and all that you want to share with our listeners. So let me ask you, before your accident, before you actually share the story about your accident, tell us who you were and what you did before the accident actually happened in 2014. So I like to always start when I was um, very, very young because it's amazing how the personality and the, the attributes of who you are they show up throughout your life and you sometimes don't, you know, sometimes don't connect them because you say, okay, well, I was six doing this and now I'm 40 doing this, whatever your age is. But I remember as a kid, I was a very inquisitive kid. I was very curious. I was very stubborn. I was a kid in class who was always being told to be quiet um, by the teacher, kind of bored because I was, you know, I was, I was pretty bright um, in terms of my just catching on and learning and just, I had a voracious kind of nature about my interest in things. Um, but that the inquisitive and strong and like kind of stubborn also approach is what might've been seen as somewhat negative back when I was a kid is what also is the core of something that has assisted me in my adulthood and through my challenges. So I would, so that's a major part of who I am is just that drive. I've always been a very competitive person. Um, very, I was a very good athlete. Somebody, somebody might say great athlete growing up, play basketball, play sports was, you know, one of the best in New York City at one point in basketball. Uh, major part of my life is basketball. And, and people see that a lot of times and say, where did basketball come from? But that's been part of my life since I've been maybe six, five or six playing basketball. And I'll talk about that more and why that matters. But professionally, you know, I went to Temple University and got my degree from Temple University in Philadelphia. Shout out to Temple University, the Owls. And um, I really took my, my upbringing in New York City, growing up in a family of, of community activists, of performers, my family were folks who used theater to tell stories and to connect with people in order to get them to do, to do and to commit to, to change in their communities. So, my, so I, as a kid, I performed around the country with my, 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 my family. And, and I said to say that my outgoing, that, that energy that I had going into college and then my profession was like a hogmash of both community energy, a hogmash of leadership energy from seeing my family lead. Um, and then it also was my attractiveness to, um, to how the brain works. I was a psychology major in school, an African-American studies major in school. So I had a real thing about like how things work and how things process. Um, and then after I, I, I transitioned from college to university and graduated, I got really active into, in education and also community as I was already when I was younger but really more into like how things are built. So for about 15 years after college, I was um, a school developer and school designer. Um, and, that, and people say, you know, what that is, what, what's, what's with that? And I, I always mention that. It's basically schools of the core community. I talked about community a couple of times. The core community, it's like the centerpiece of any community is a school, an education space, um, after school program, uh, you know, a full day school. Educators are the core of our communities. And, um, what I did was I would build schools from the ground up. I had some like what we call start to finish schools. And I had some schools that were like rehab schools where you go in and you, they're not working and you redevelop the curriculum, you hire new staff, you, you bring in new programs, you bring in a program that does trade or a program that does art or something that's going to help to transform the school. And then you also develop curriculum and, and also develop um, external programs that are kind of going to community. So, so um I did that for 15 years and that was, that, was, that was my love. My love was really seeing something that was a challenge 
and then building something that was going to help to change or resolve that challenge within a community. Education was the way in which I did that. Um, education was the core of how I did that for about 15 years. And um, that, was, that was my life. That was, I was a really, every day I was, I was a voracious worker. I, my work ethic is, is a little insane. Some, some might say fanatical. Um, so I had a really workaholic kind of lifestyle, um, work seven days a week, always working, always in a program or designing a program or in a meeting or some kind of um, committee, always doing something that was trying to build something. And, um, and people will know me as that. People who still knew me prior to my injury know me as really a very popular outgoing guy, like a leader in, 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 in community, also a hard worker somebody who was um, constantly active everywhere. Um, how'd you get here? How'd you get there? Like, why are you in five places? That, why are you five places a day? Like, did I see you? You know, always, like, always kind of wondering how I did so much because I was just that kind of worker. Um, and I took pride in that. I took pride in, in, in leading and working. And, um, and that's a major part of my story too that I always want to talk about is, and we'll get to that, is uh, how your persona affects how you heal, how you transform, and personas aren't bad, but personas are are very intense because you you um you have like an umbrella, you have everything under your persona that that, that is your life. You kind of this is what you're known for, your role. I'm a father, I'm a mother, I'm a brother, I'm a son. Um, it's part of your persona, these different characteristics, different roles. Um, and sometimes you can get stuck in those. So we'll talk about that. But um that that was me. That 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 is still me, but I'm different. But that is a part of me in terms of my career and upbringing for sure. Boomy, you are very active, full of energy, definitely a creator, a builder, and a community person, very involved, very involved. I loved hearing that. Now, can you take us to the day mm. when everything in your life was affected, changed, and impacted? So... Oh man, it was, it was July, 2014. I remember I was in contract negotiations. Um, I was doing like a very intense negotiation with an organization that I was working with then. And we were, you know, we were kind of not seeing things eye to eye. And I remember just um, it being in that very intense space of anybody who has negotiations, knowing that's like, you know, you meet, you disagree, you're trying to figure out the contracts, you walk away from the table, you send emails back and forth, you do all these different things to try to get to a place where um, they get what they want and you get what you want. And I was in that space because in the school world, education world, everything ends June 31st. So I was around that June 31st time period going to summertime and school's not in session. Um, some people are going to summer school, but majority of school's not in session. So my work is a little slow in terms of that, that everyday work, but you're kind of building up for the next year. You're, you're, you're doing your negotiations or your your, your process and paperwork stuff for the next year and your meeting do that. Um, my birthday is coming. My birthday is July 7th. So my birthday for me was like, okay, I've been working so hard during the year. I want to really celebrate this birthday. Something was different about this birthday. And I really wanted to celebrate it because I worked really hard that year. And I found myself um, at a place where I was really, I was growing in my career and I hit a success space where I was trying to figure out what was next. And I was in my mind, am I going to run for office? politically because I had a certain level of like popularity and impact in, in, in Philadelphia. Am I going to, um, am I going to be a principal of a school because I was a principal at one time? Like, what am I going to do with my next thing? And I had that in my mind. I was constantly thinking about what I was going to do next. Like I, I felt like, very, I felt very, 
I felt very um, like itchy, very just not sure what was going to happen next with me. And that was in my mind a lot. So I went to uh, a friend of mine and I went to um, Atlantic City because we wanted to go, you know, go go in, just spend my birthday, which was July 7th. And like, you know, around that time, July, I'll say July 5th, like we're going to Atlantic City. So we were trying to plan this trip to Atlantic City. And um, I also told him, I said, I want to go skydiving. He was like, what? Skydiving? No, you're not going skydiving. I was like, no, I'm going to go skydiving. I'm, I'm terrified. I've been wanting to go for some time. I've been telling people that I want to go, but I haven't done it. People are like, oh, you know, I've done it. Some people are like, oh, don't do that. You know, you get those mixed responses. But I said, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to, I felt, I felt very courageous because I'm telling you like my contract stuff was happening. I felt like I'm, I'm rising. Something's happening in me where I feel very confident. And that spoke to the fear that I had for skydiving and, and how my mind, in my mind, I was going to conquer this fear. On my birthday, I'm going to conquer this fear. I'm going to do, I'm not going to let another year pass by where I'm telling folks that, I, that I'm thinking about doing it because I'm in this action phase of my life, right? I'm in this like, let's get, let's get it done kind of phase of my life. Um, so I said, I'm going to do it. My friend is like, okay, well, so we, we go, we go to, the, to the casino in Atlantic City on, um, on, on July, July 6th, we go to the casino. Um, we go, July, July 6th, we are thinking about going to the casino. And then I'm like, okay, um, we go, we have a good time, et cetera. And um, I wake up the next day to go skydiving. And I remember it was really early. Uh, I went and it was really crowded at the skydiving, like, the, like the, the airlift pad that you go to. I had to travel to it. So it was like all this like, anxiety about going and I turn back, like I stay. And when I got there the first day, um, it was so windy outside. And it was, it was crowded and people were waiting to go skydiving. It must have been like 50 to 75 people just waiting, just sitting and waiting. So I went through the full process to figure out what I needed to do. And they go, they, they kind of sit you in front of a video and say, this is what you have to do. And so I'm, I'm, just, I'm just taking it all in. And I'm a curious person. I'm talking to people and asking questions. I'm like trying to get my jitters out. And I remember on that day, the, we waited for about five or six hours to skydive because the wind was just so, one thing about skydiving is that they, they have these um, evaluations to see what the wind is doing. And when the wind is really busy, you can't skydive, right? Because you'll, you'll, you'll drift once you jump. Um, so that day I waited, 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 and I eventually did not skydive on that, that first day. Me being the kind of person that I am, I decided to go back. <laughs> I worked on the seventh, so I said, I'm not going to go back on the seventh, but I made my appointment for the eighth, the day after. So I celebrated my birthday, and something said, I'd go back. I went back on the eighth, and at this time I went back on the eighth, no one was there. It was maybe, it was myself, and I remember very clearly, I don't know how I remember so much detail about it, but I do. It was myself. And these two guys and one and a, a girl, and I, I come to find out the guys are 18 and they're jumping for their 18th birthday, and the girlfriend is kind of going to support the two guys, um, one of the guys they're with and the two guys. So we're talking, and they're waiting. You know, they get it before me, so I'm there. I'm, I'm meeting them at the skydive at the at the at the pad where we're getting ready to take off from, and we're talking, and they're like, "Yeah, we're gonna do it for my birthday." Like my birthday, just, my birthday was yesterday. And we're talking and talking. Again, that goes to my curious nature. I'm, I'm engaging these folks about what they're doing. And we kind of have a bond. So we, um, 
So the skydive folks, you know, say, you know, they take them first and say, you're next, Mr. Samuel. I went through the process already of, of whatever paperwork I had to do for them to have me skydive. And um, the guy points to the sky and says, that's your parachute. He says, and I remember it was a, it was a, a red and yellow parachute. He says, that's yours. So, okay, so now I'm excited. I'm like, okay, we're gonna, you know, it's happening. Like I'm next. Um, so I get my harness on and I'm, I'm still like really nervous. How do you put this on? And the guy's like, you know, it's not a lot of instructions. So I'm like, mm, okay. So I'm trying to figure it out. And um, they, 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 um, they put my, in my pack and they, they, they give me all my, you know, they give me the instructions on what I should do once I, I jump. So we're, we're in this air, this small plane. I remember how small it was. And it was 10 of us, right? It was like the pilot, the two guys I'm talking about, their two instructors, myself, my instructor, and then there's three videographers. So it's 10 folks total on this little plane. I remember as we're climbing, we're in this plane, we're climbing the height. I can feel the plane shaking. I can feel it in my stomach. I'm already, like I said, I'm already nervous. I'm feeling it in my stomach. In my mind, you know, my mind is like going, 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 going. I'm trying to calculate 10 people in a plane, you know, and I'm, and the thing about the special thing that gives me a very inside understanding of everything that took place is that my instructor was the lead instructor for the plane. So, He's giving all the instructions to everybody else. So if anybody has skydived before, anybody has seen someone skydive, you're literally, you're, you're connected to somebody in tandem if you're doing tandem skydiving, which I was, and you're like a baby on that person's chest. That person, their heart beats, you feel their heartbeat. You know, you feel everything that person is doing. You feel their weight on your body because they, you are connected to that person um, in tandem. So I remember just like, you know, being on this person's lap, so to speak. You know, as we're in the plane, left side, back of the plane, he's talking to the pilot, which is, you know, is at the front. Um, and, and, and well, left side, front of the plane, but he's talking to the pilot in the front. And, and I'm just listening to everything he's talking about. And they're talking, you know, this kind of very technical language. And, but I'm, I see him counting. He's counting the, 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 the rise. Like he's counting the altitude. He's saying 10,000. He's saying 5,000, 8,000, 10,000. I'm like, are they gonna stop counting? <laughs> I know nothing about the height of when you skydive. So I'm like, with 10,000, like, okay, I, that's pretty high. And you can feel the plane shifting. And I remember the window, I, I, I didn't wanna look at the window. I, I took a peek out the window for a second and see us leaving. Like the ground is getting further and further away from us. So I'm like, okay, this is really happening. And I'm asking the guy, the guy, my instructor questions. He's like, no, you always, you can't go, you can opt out. You can turn back if you want. And in my mind, like I said before, Debbie, that feeling of, I don't want to give into my fear kicked in. Because he said, he said, you can turn back. And, you know, and, and my mind's like, I have no reason to turn back. I, I can do this. People have done this. I can do this. I'm terrified though. I'm terrified. I'm, I'm literally going through the motion. I'm, I'm like, I'm really scared of doing it. And I feel that fear, but I'm like, I'm, I'm going to walk past the fear. I'm going to do it. So, um, the two young, young guys jump out with their, they jump out, they're yelling and screaming in the air. Ah, you know, they're having a great time. I'm excited now. I go from being afraid to now seeing someone else do it. Now I'm excited. Now this, the feeling changes once I made the decision that I'm not going back down. Like that moment passed, right? Okay. I'm not, gonna, I'm not, I couldn't imagine staying on the plane. Then people jumping out, the plane is empty and me booming, asking the pilot to take me back down. Now, right. 
for everybody who's going on a roller coaster and said, you know, I can't do it last minute. I'm not saying that that doesn't happen because it does happen. But for me in that moment, it was such a buildup of, like I was mentioning, everything that happened to me career-wise, my personal life, my, my birthday, all these things, things were like a stew that I had to work through to get to the other side of my fear. And that's what I wanted to do. I was, I was, I was it was like, it's a fear conquering trip, if you would call it anything. So um, we hit, we're now 15,000 feet. Everyone's jumped out, we're at 15,000 feet. And the, my instructor is like, we're going to, he tells me we're gonna to go to the end of the landing, we're gonna go into the bench. We're gonna basically be on our knees. I'm, I'm going to count to three and we're gonna go out. Okay. This is happening like we're the last ones on the plane. We're jumping. Um, our, our videographer is right before us. I see a videographer jump out first. Um, it was crazy because they, they were doing flips in the air. It was kind of, it was wild. It was, it was skydive folks are a wild bunch. The instructors, in, they're, they're, they're a wild bunch. So now I'm waiting, you know, we're going one, two, three, he says, right? So I'm like, okay, I'm waiting for, he goes one, he goes two. We never got to three. He thrust me out. Oh my gosh. <laughs> so um, so we're in the sky now, right? We're, we're, we're live, we're, we're, we're skydiving. And I remember the videographer being in front of me. And I remember the funny thing is I, I bought the extra package when I bought my skydiving package. The, the, they have a package where you can, you can um, basically float longer so you can get more video footage, more pictures. So I bought the, like, you know, my personal, I bought the ultimate package. I want the best package, right? So I buy this package. And um, so now I'm, in my mind, I'm thinking I'm going to make, make it worth it. I bought this additional package. I'm going to make sure I'm, I'm big and I'm showing this emotion. Like I'm going to live it up. I'm going to jump fully in it and live it up. So the guy is taking, you know, he's on video. He's taking me on video. He's like, it's like bigger, bigger. I'm like, I'm showing on my hands and I'm, I'm, I'm super excited. So all the fear went away. The adrenaline hit and I'm in it now, right? And that's it's so fascinating how fear can go that fast when you make a decision, when you commit to something. Um, despite what happened after, which I'm about to talk about, what I do know is that when you make a commitment, fear does dissipate. When you decide, when you're decisive, fear builds and it sits and it kind of gives you your brain a way of saying, should I stay? Should I, should I freeze? Should I, should I run? But once you make a decision, you are, you know, you get, you transform that, that situation. So, Something happened very weird to me when I jumped because I'm, I go from horizontal, big, smiling for the camera, and then I got then then I spun. I spun, and I'll tell you what that spin is that, that I find out later. But I spin. I'm like, it jolts me. I'm like, what is this? Like it shakes me. I'm like, I went, I just went from being horizontal and being you know having a good time to to being to spinning and feeling like what what's happening. I didn't panic and I'm proud of that. I'm, I'm proud of it in that moment. I didn't panic because it was panicking kind of situation. I didn't uh, panic. Yes. But okay, this is different. <laughs> this is all right, Boomy, what's going on? You know, now I'm like, okay, I'm, I'm kind of like surveying what's happening. So we, I go from that one spin, which, which was jolting to then um, being like, feeling my instructor tugging at the straps, tugging at, at, at the, har the harness that I have on the straps. And I'm, I'm telling the story now with more information because I found out what actually happened. So I'm getting, so you, so Debbie, you have like the first time I've ever talked about it like this. 
is with you. I've never talked about this like this, and this is much detail. Um, this so, is an honor. This is yeah. a sacred space. Thank you. Yeah, you're the right person for it. So now I feel I feel the tugging, and I'm like, now I know something's not right. No video I've seen, no TV show I've seen, nothing I've heard about skydiving talks about this part. They talk about the first part. You, you, you ever seen the video? You, know, you see the videos everywhere. People are out jumping out. They're smiling. The, the air is blowing their face. Their cheeks, you know, like their, their clothes are, are puffed up. I've seen that part. I've never seen the spin part. I've never seen the tugging part. So at this point now, I'm like, okay. So in this moment, and this is this is like this is like a, a this is this is totally a me thing. I'm worried about the guy. Uh, I'm trying to figure out like, are you okay? I, I, I'm asking him. Of course, we have fifteen thousand. I just bought like fourteen, fifteen thousand up. I'm like, are you okay? Are you all right? What's going on? I'm asking repeatedly because I I know something's not right. My gut is telling me something's not right. I feel it. Something's not right. And of course, because we're in the air, I can't, I can't hear him. No, he's not, I'm not going to hear him, but I'm asking repeatedly over and over and over again, are you okay? What's going on? And I feel him tugging, I feel him tugging, I feel him tugging. And I'm a baby on his, I'm a baby on his stomach, like on his chest and stomach, like, like any other person that would carry a baby. So I, I feel everything, I feel it. And I can feel like him, I can feel the grunting of him. Oh my. I can feel the grunting of him. I can feel he's struggling with something. And I don't know anything about skydiving. So I, don't, I can't even put together in my mind as I'm trying to calculate what's happening. I can't, my mind cannot conceive what's happening because I have no reference point for it. You can't see it. All I you can feel, feel it. it. I can feel it. That's incredible. So shortly after, and time is not, at, at that altitude and that, that level of, of, of 15,000 feet, you don't really have a sense of time. Something happens with time, right? You just kind of are there. So it, so it feels like an hour, but it really is like three minutes. So you're, you're trying to calculate. And the, the main thing, about, the best thing about the brain, the brain calculates. Your brain, is, your brain is such a beautiful thing. And I've learned so much about the brain because I've had to, the brain calculates. The brain is trying to figure out what's going on. It's, try, it's trying to save you. It's trying to put things in order like a puzzle to say, okay, this is happening now, this is happening then, this is happening next. Okay, you're going to do this and then this. And then. Your brain is sequencing things by itself based on how it works to make sure that you are able to do whatever's next. And, that's, and, and I didn't really respect that until I understood how the brain was working on my behalf. It was literally trying to calculate to keep me safe, right? Amazing. Um, so now, so now we go from the tugging to we're now we're, we're spiraling. We're going down. We're oh going, my goodness. We're going through the sky. We're falling through the sky. Um, and the greatest, the greatest thing about it, and people are listening to this and I, I'm saying greatest, I'm saying excitement. I'm, you have to understand I'm going through a long process to get to this point. This is not like first day. This is like, you know, six years, seven years later of really taking a look at just deal, working on myself, honestly. So the greatest thing I can say out of that moment is that my brain starts calculating when I was a child in karate class. My brain is like, okay, that's what you do. You, you, you're gonna, you're gonna, you're gonna hit, you're gonna roll, you're gonna fall, and you're gonna roll. 
my brain is trying to, it's taking past experiences and it's bringing it forward to the current day, 30 plus years later, to figure out, to make, to close the gap between what I've done, what I've known, and what is happening, right? It's filling this gap. This is the brain is doing. So now I'm having these thoughts of like, okay, I'm gonna, remember karate class when you were a kid and you, and you flipped and you, because I'm flipping through the sky. I'm making an association. I'm flipping through the sky now, right? And I'm going faster and faster through the sky. Um, and I, and I, and I feel, I just feel the, I, I feel the impact of the wind. I, I feel my body like going through this, um, I'm kind of slipping out of consciousness, but I'm not slipping totally. I'm, I'm still maintaining consciousness. And I'm telling myself to stay up, don't lose, don't lose it. But I feel my brain kind of slipping. I feel my mind slipping. I feel my mind trying to figure out what's going on. I feel um, my heart, you know, I'm having like, like a constriction in my heart, which later was like a, a slight heart attack. So I'm feeling, every, my body's basically shutting down. Your body, your body shut, your body now, your body shuts down to save itself. When your body goes into a coma, it shuts down to save itself. Um, these things your body does in order for it to, to save what it can save. So I'm now I'm spiraling through the sky and, I'm, and I know I'm hitting the ground. I know just in a matter of time I'm gonna hit the ground, right? And in my mind, um, again, I'm, I've thought about the guy before when he was first tugging on his harness and I'm thinking about my family. I'm like, what are they gonna do if I'm not here? Like, I'm gonna die, you know? I, I, for me, I know in my mind, I'm preparing to die. I'm telling myself, I'm like, okay, you know, boom, you're gonna, you're gonna die. You, you know, you know, you may not make it. What, what's your family gonna do? What's your, your loved ones gonna do? What's your girlfriend gonna do if you're not able to survive this? And I'm going through that emotion now. I'm trying to figure out what, you know, and calculating what happens because there's no way that the way I was falling and the way I was spiraling, and later FAA says, you know, the. The, the, the flight association says it was a death spiral. That's how they calculated it. So the way I was falling, the speed I was falling at, probably 145, 50 miles per hour. Like you, you're just, you're falling, you're falling fast. My, and, I, and, I, and I just know, so I'm falling, 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 and I hit the ground. Oh. Now, mind you, Debbie, I'm not, I, I haven't lost my consciousness. I'm, I'm fully awake. I'm fully awake. The whole time, I've not lost consciousness. I feel when myself you... losing consciousness, but I've never lost consciousness. I can tell you every detail of that moment to the, to the specifics of what happened from this minute to this minute to this minute as I'm falling. You literally were conscious when you hit the ground. Oh, my word. Um, and, and the way I can describe the feeling is like when you shatter a glass or shatter like a plate and, and the plate shatters in many, many pieces. Or you shatter a vase, like a very fine vase. And it's, it doesn't just shatter in half or shatter in, in four, the shatters like in, in 15s and 20s. That's how my body when it hit the ground felt, like a shattering. Mm. And you're shattering and, and um, I don't, you know, as I'm falling, my first body part hit the, hit the ground was my heels. So the shattering was like a, like you know the same kind of bass feeling like that sound like that sound. I then liken my heels hitting the ground to like a soda can. When you, when you were a kid and you used to play the game, where you crush the soda can with your hand, with your feet rather, like that. You you have the soda can. It's upright. It's like a, a vertical soda can, and you step on it, and you, you see it you see it you see it basically um, come into itself. 
that's how that's the that's the feeling of my body. Oh and, my word! And after I hit the ground, I feel a shadow, and I'm like, okay, I'm like, I'm, I'm not I'm I'm not totally lucid. I'm like I'm I'm, I'm I'm losing my mind to tell you the truth. My mind is slipping. I'm not totally lucid. I'm losing my mind. Uh, my brain is kind of doing some funny things. And then my, then my instructor lands on me and pushes my face into the ground. So this is like, I go from like, you know, having a really severe spinal cord injury and then my, the head trauma being a, a really severe brain injury. So it's like two impacts, two me first hitting and then the, the, the guy landing on me and I'm kind of cushioning his fall. He's a big guy too. So, so it's um, pretty, 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 the additional weight is, is definitely has a lot to say with, say in terms of the injuries. Um, so yeah, so that, that's the, so there's more to tell, but I'm going to, I know you have some questions. I've, I've, I've been talking for a little bit of time. What do you, what? Well, you know, it's just amazing, you know, the longest three minutes of your life and you're thinking, what about my family? You know, yeah. at this point, I will probably die. I am hitting the ground from 15,000 feet. And even at that moment, you're thinking of others. I mean, that's the boomy that I know. Yeah. The heart of one who always is thinking of others and how they can help. And here in your most difficult moment, that's where your heart, your thoughts were that I find that incredible. And, and, and I'm just like falling through the air with you as you're telling this story. And so you're on the ground and I guess it was a while before the ambulances came and they took you to a hospital. Yeah. So, so um, I'm on the ground and remember I still have a harness on. So um, the plot, the plot thickens, you know, the harness is, you have a harness and the harness is, is strapped to your, to your crotch and then it comes up to your, to your neck. It comes up to basically like a vest. So because I'm attached to him, the harness is connected to him. So as he's falling, as he lands on top of me, his movement stretches the harness through my crotch into my neck. Oh my gosh. The thing about it, like you're, you're connected to this, like this rope of some sort. Now the rope is, is wrapped around you and then now it's, it's stretching across your body. And it's, you know, it's uh, not only, not only grabbing your testicles and, gra and grabbing your, your body part, but it's also choking you out. It's also choking you out, you know? And, and I remember, you know, having, I chose to wear, you know, I'm, I'm such a, I'm such a, uh, <laughs> such a geek. I, cho I chose to wear my favorite clothes when I skydived. My favorite, like things I really love, right? So I had these blue and black sneakers on that I really, I just bought, I love them. I have my favorite jeans on. I have this red candy stripe. Have you ever seen the picture? Um, I have it on, on Instagram. Um, it's a candy stripe blue and red and, and white hoodie, like a zip up hoodie. Now, one thing I say yes. when you're skydiving is not to have a hoodie with strings, right? Because if it gets caught, it will choke you. So I had my, I had, I had this, this zipper and I thought I had this zipper like um, hoodie, but it wasn't like a it wasn't like a full body. It wasn't like a full hoodie that, that you can tie it, tie the string. It was more like a loose loose um, zipper hoodie. So I remember that I had this on. I had my strings tucked in, 
And, and as, it, as it's choking me, it's like, I remember just like having to, I realized the hoodie I wore was because it's colder in the air. So, you know, it's, it's always 10 degrees difference in the air when you're skydiving. So it must have been 100 degrees that day. Right? That's okay. That's right. July. You're in July. July. It's 100, 100 degrees that day. Um, and this, this is why this makes sense. So I'm literally on the floor and I have this in, in the sky. It was cool. I, it, it was worth wearing a hoodie. But when I hit the ground, now you're on the, now you're on the ground in the heat. So it's adding another layer, right? So I remember, I, I remember going to the bathroom before I got on the plane, because you don't want to, you don't want to have anything in your system as you, you know, you might pee yourself because of the exhilaration, the adrenaline when you're skydiving. So I remember being, being so thirsty on the ground because I'm laying there for a while. How long were you laying there before help came? Maybe 15, 20 minutes. That's a long time. And you're conscious during this time. So I'm conscious, you know, I've, I've, I've broken, I've, I've broken, I've, I've just, I'm break, I'm broken. Um, I'm bleeding from my mouth. So I'm, so I'm, I'm swallowing blood at this point from the, from the, the head impact. So I'm literally, I'm bleeding from my jaw. I'm bleeding from my mouth. So I'm spitting out blood. I'm trying to spit, spit, spit out blood on the side I, I, next to me because I feel myself like choking. I feel myself ch choking out. And my whole goal was not to lose consciousness. That was my whole goal was don't lose it, don't lose it. I kept on telling myself, don't lose it, don't lose it. Don't let go, don't let go. And I'm telling myself, you know, it's, and, I, and I talk about it because it's a death-life sequence. You know, you go through, my experience is that I felt myself, I, I felt myself slipping and coming back gone and pulling myself back. Anybody would say, what happens when you're about to die? It's like, my explanation would be like, you're pulling yourself back into life. Like you're going down this, this, this whatever, it can be saying like a, like a tunnel, but you're going, you're, you're, the, the major thing, you're going, you're leaving. And I found myself pulling myself, like willing myself, talking myself into not, not, not losing consciousness, talking myself into not succumbing to level of pain and the level of, of the deathly level of what's happening. And you know what's happening. You, you can't, you can't, you can't describe it to someone, but you know you're checking out. You know, you know it's okay. This, this is it. That's how you know you, you feel everything in your body's shutting down. And you're, you're like so you're, aware. You're, you're so you're, aware of that moment. Aware of that moment. And I'm, I'm aware of, it happened about three or four times. It happened in the sky, it happened on the ground when I first hit, happened when I was laying there, happened when I was in the hospital. I had a couple of four or five. Different four out five different moments. Um, and I said at one point, you know, later when I got when we'll talk about the hospital, I, I asked for I, I I wrote for a chaplain. I like I was sketching for a chaplain. I was like trying to articulate a chaplain because I, I didn't think I was gonna make it. Like after all those sequences, I felt in the hospital, same thing. It was it was like even more extreme in the hospital. Um, but I'm on the ground and 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 I know that it's gonna be a while because we we um, we went up. And nothing around the air pad was grass. We were on grass at this point. Nothing around. So I, in my mind, I just knew we weren't, we weren't anywhere close. To, we, were, we, weren't, we weren't anywhere close to where we, where we, we um, lifted from, where we um, flew from. So I knew it was going to be a while. And um, my instructor is, is, is um, 
he has these deathly, deathly screams. And I, and he's, and I'm telling him, I'm, I'm asking him, I'm pleading with him to stop screaming because I, his screams are, are making my, I'm losing, I'm like his screams are triggering. I'm going further and further into losing it. The more I hear him scream. I can never describe the level of shriek in the scream that I, that I heard him, him screaming. Uh, he was in severe pain. Uh, but in that moment, I still was like, I still was trying to comfort him. That's something that, that's, that's gonna always stay with me. I'm still like, it's, it's gonna be all right, man. It's gonna, like, like, please stop screaming. Please stop screaming. And I'm, and I'm spitting blood and I'm, I'm just, you know, and I, I don't know if he heard me, but because in my mind, in your brain at that point, you think you're, you're loud, you don't, you don't know how loud you are, you don't know, you know, you're just trying to articulate whatever's going on. And, and I decided, I decided, I decided in that moment that you're not going to die here. Like you're not going to die here. And I remember, I remember of course the harness was like choking me. I remember adjusting the harness slightly and turning my neck opposite of where he was laying and just waiting, putting my face in the dirt and waiting. I am just amazed that you were able to think, able to talk, mm-hmm. process. And so Boomi, take us to where they finally coming get you, they take you to the hospital. What is the medical community saying at this point? What is their prognosis? What are they saying about your injuries? Are you going to be able to come back? What did you hear? What happened once they got you to the hospital? So, so and, and you, you could appreciate that because you believe in angels. Like I believe in angels. Um, yes. There, there's a moment where they come in, they come and get get us um, and they're going to where in Pennsylvania, as I've mentioned, I live in Philadelphia, but the place that we skydive from is in Pennsylvania. Um, they come and get us and they put us, they take him first, which I never, that, that, that still makes me angry to this day. They take, they take him first and then I wait long, I, I wait again because it's, there's, only one, there's only one gurney. So I wait again, I, I wait for another team or another group to come and get me. So I'm still, <laughs> Oh my. I'm, I'm like, you know, I, and, and of course people might say, how do you know they were there? Because I can feel their, their feet on the grass. I can feel them coming. Okay. I can hear it. And not only can I hear it, I can feel it <laughs> because it's make it's the, 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 that slight feeling on the ground is making my body go crazy. Yes, your body's very sensitive oh, now. My body's going crazy. So they come and get him, and they come and get me and put me on the gurney. They, 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 they um, <laughs> before they do that, they take my back to my clothes. Right, this is why I said the clothes thing is kind of humorous. Now they cut my clothes off of me. Uh oh. So my favorite jeans, my favorite hoodie, never seen them again. They sent some some trash years ago, and I'm naked in the field. Oh, I mean, Debbie, this shit, this shit didn't matter at this point. But don't you know it mattered to me at that point? I believe it did. The two things that mattered to me, and again, this is, is no, there's no way you can count. You know what you can understand, but your brain is doing things. Your brain goes into these different modes. I, I can't even explain it to you. 
and, and it shouldn't, it should, it's not logical, but your brain starts to do things that connect to whatever your brain is doing. So I'm concerned about being naked in the field. Mind you, I'm, I'm, I'm like dying. I'm bleeding profusely. I'm, I'm, my mind shifts to being naked in the field. My mind shifts to, are my teeth still in my mouth? Because I, I like my teeth. Oh my god! <laughs> so my mind goes to these two things. I'm and I'm and I'm and I'm like going. I'm, I'm like it's flashing in and out. I'm just like and it comes to me. I'm like, but I'm thinking about these things. You're thinking, which is amazing, because your head just hit the ground. Something's happening, right? So, so, so they finally. So I'm so you know that 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 subsides. That goes away. That feeling of like the nakedness and whether my teeth are, are out my mouth and you know on the ground somewhere. Um, so you get to the hospital and they, they start evaluating. They, well, they, well, they, the angel that I'm speaking about is that they were going to take me by ambulance to Temple University. Someone steps in and says, you can't take him. He's not going to make it in the ambulance. Okay. I'll never meet that person again in my life. I'll never know what that person is. But someone, so a voice says you can't take him to Temple. We have I to believe airlift. that. You have to airlift him. And I'm okay. saying, and, I, and I, I'm resisting because I don't want to. I don't want to go back up. But the person says, "This is the best thing for you. Your best chance is to, to go to, is, is to go let I find out it's, it's the trauma hospital. It's Lehigh Valley. So it's a difference between going to a Temple University, which is a, you know a hospital in Philadelphia, and going to a, another level of elite hospital. But their their directives is that they take they take you to use the Temple University to get airlifted." There's a whole other protocol that you have to get. You have to go through a different step to go to get airlifted. So here you just fell (laughs) out of a plane and you're getting put back in a plane to go back up in the air. I think I'm going to fall out of my chair on that one. I just cannot imagine. How do you process that? I think I would be saying, no, no, I, I don't know if I could go back up. But honest, obviously, that had to be a divine moment because the instruction came for you to go up so you can go to the trauma hospital, mm-hmm. which was very instrumental in saving your life. Saved my life, yeah. It saved my, absolutely saved my life. Um, it saved my life. And I think that it's taught me that you have to do difficult things, even when you don't want to do difficult things. Because that was, that was difficult. As I'm saying, I'm getting emotional because that was difficult. That, that, was, that was for me to get to talk myself out of the moment and to be so severely this disheartened, be so severely um, knowing I was going to die at that moment, like having a very deep, deep, deep feeling and feeling myself slipping and, and, and making, my, making my amends. Like, really, I was ready to die. I'm making my amends that, okay, I'm going to. I've lived my life. I'm, 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 I'm closing the chapter during that whole process. To then go back up, it's like you're reliving the whole experience. You're, you're, you're resetting. So you've closed the chapter in your life. You've made, and, that, and it, it was, I've never felt that feeling of, of accepting that you're accepting death, but like I accepted death at that moment. I've had different death sequences through my injuries, but nothing like that falling and nothing like that praying to my, for my family to be okay. Nothing like that. So to go back up is a reversal 
to some extent of what I just experienced. It's like reopening a wound. It's like reopening a wound. You were, oh, boomy. Mm-hmm. That, I never knew that part of your story that you had to go back up. Yeah. The fear I- alone that had to overwhelm you at this point. So let's take our listeners to the place where you're now in the hospital. I'm sure the medical community is shocked that you survived trying to figure out why is he still alive and tell us the injuries that you sustained and um, how you walked through the things that you heard and the discouragement and things like that. Yeah. So, um, I would say it felt like a fiasco. It felt like, it felt like I was um, in a museum being looked at. Everyone was very, because the, the, the word got around that, that what happened. And you can feel like the, the all kind of, the all kind of energy in the hospital, on the floor, you know, um, when I went to go get x-rays, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in and out, I'm in and out, but I, I'm very aware. I can't, I can't, I want people, I want the listeners to really understand that I'm, that I'm there, but I'm also not there. Something else is happening that I can't ever explain, but I'm aware. I'm very aware of my environment. Okay. I'm very, I'm, I'm very, I'm very concerned about where I'm at and what's happening and, and, and how I'm going to be treated in terms of, I've never been hurt before. Again, I mentioned before, I've always been an athlete. I've never been sick. I, I, I play at the highest level of, of what I wanted to play sports-wise. Um, I was a vegetarian at 15. I was, I'm a very health-conscious person. And that comes from losing my mother when I was in high school. So I made a lot of decisions around my health very early on. So for me to be in a hospital, which I've never been in the hospital, being evaluated and having that energy around me that's very like, oh, sugar, honey, iced tea, right? Like what's going, mm-hmm. you know, that energy around me was alarming and it felt very gawking because you can hear the whispers. whispers. You can hear people coming in the room looking at you, you know? I, I, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not going to out anybody, but there were some pictures taken too. Like it, it was, it was a fiasco. It was, it was, and it was also a fiasco on the news, right? It was a fiasco on the news, a fiasco, you know, because no one knew whether I was going to survive or not. Like, word got around I was dead for, like, literally, Debbie, people thought I was dead. Like, people, the news was, I found out later that people thought I was dead. When, oh I, was in, when I was in rehab in New York, I was talking to a, a person in the rehab who had family in Philadelphia. They were talking about me to me in the rehab because they, they thought I was dead. I'm gonna say that oh. again. I'm in a rehab. Talk, I'm in a rehab talking to a guy. Well, I'm in a rehab on one side of the room, and I, I and I I hear a conversation between four people on the other side of the rehab space, like the room. I'll talk about that that sound thing that is very fascinating. And they were talking about a guy who's who skydived in Philadelphia and died. This is like four years later, five years later. I had to tell him, I'm him. I didn't die. That's, that's, that's how wacky, this is what's, you know, that's, that's how, one, that's how information travels and how information gets wrong. It's like that game, that game telephone. Um, 
But I, but that's how that's the energy that was happening over and over and over and over again around me, and I found myself constantly trying to like just figure out how to bring it down, figuring out how to be still. And only when I had a relative come and he kind of shut it down, shut the cameras down, he shut, he changed my room, they privatized my room. Only when he came did it really get quiet for a little bit of time until family comes and that gets a little noisy. But strangers, he was the one that cut it short because it was it was that kind of spectacle. Spectacle's the right word because I'm sure everyone wanted to come and see the man who fell 15,000 feet survived. Yeah. So, Boomy, what were your injuries that were sustained so we can help our listeners understand how you, the sudden loss of your health and how you've transitioned from being that healthy guy, like you said, the athlete. Yeah. Now, suddenly in, your, in the hospital, you're having x-rays, the doctors come back, and what do they tell you about your body? So, so what, what, I've, what I've learned and what I've read is that um, my body experienced very deep internal trauma, right? So all my, all my systems were failing. All my systems were, were not functioning. Um, so the first thing that they did was was to get my systems to function, to get me to be able to, to um, function. And it took some time, but my bowels to move, my, for my, my blood pressure to come down. Like there's some very, very high, very basic level, high level things that aside from the breaks, aside from the, the, the fracture, aside from the brokenness, those are things that are very, um, very basic. And um, um, so for, for me, my diagnosis that I've, I've, I've had a, I have a brain injury. Um, I also have um, fractures and compressions, compressions from the fall and the impact of the fall to my lumbar, my thoracic, my, low, my lower and my middle back. Um, I didn't break my neck, which people still don't understand why, which you know is another level of injury. But, but my injuries are pretty, in the scheme of things, my injuries are, my injuries are pretty fair. They're pretty, it's kind of unbelievable that, that I don't, that I don't, I didn't break my face, that I didn't, I didn't shadow my, my skull, you know, that I didn't, you know, I didn't lose use of my hands totally. I, I, I had, my injuries were very like, this is what you have going on. But over time, they've done two things. Some have gotten worse and some have gotten better. And again, that's, that, that's, it's, it's miraculous was also the power of the body because the things you the things you experience when you first get injured, they deteriorate and some improve. So what happens to you on day one is not going to be what happens to you on day twenty. Your body goes through a whole different series of because once the adrenaline stops and once that adrenaline stops in your body, your body gets to a regular state. And then you have to deal with the panic your body deals with. You have to deal with the, the lack of functionality and and blood flow. And you know your heart and your organs, knowing that they're not, they're not, you know, they're fun. They're, they're going to function again. Like your organs, like I was saying with the four, your organs begin to shut down. So you know you might lose, you might lose functionality, you know, with your bladder. You might lose functionality in your heart. Lose functionality for sure in your brain because your brain is in a whole different. It kind of, it kind of 
what I've experienced, it hardens to the state that you were in. Like it, it accepts the state in order for it to function. Like it, it doesn't it doesn't go back to what it used to be. It takes a different form um, because it's trying to figure out what the trauma is and how to save itself. So, so I so I have so I definitely have I have a spinal cord injury. I have a brain injury. Um, I tore my feet up because I landed on my feet. So I had for a long time, um, my feet were like frozen. They were like frozen, and they wouldn't they wouldn't even circulation wouldn't even function in my feet. So for a little bit of time, I thought they were going to cut my feet because I didn't really have circulation going to my feet. Um, so I went through that phase of like seeing a lot of podiatrists and like them, them diagnosing that my feet being really in bad shape. Um, and then you deal with the nerve damage. I think out of all the things I would talk about with an injury and no, you never talk about it in, in school or in science class, nerve injury is the worst injury. I'll take a break over nerve any day. I'll break my back over nerve any day. You know, and I had both. I had a broken my back, my back being um, being fractured, but also the nerve damage. That that's that's what the that's what the real issue is, because nerves are nerves are like season. They 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 have their own personality. They have their own. They do their own thing, and you can't even mark your clock by it. So the nerve damage is probably the, my worst. My worst. My brain injury was really severe. Um. And I spent some time in a rehab for my brain injury, but the nerve damage is what, you know, is the, the major challenge, I think, for injuries like mine. I know your body was really impacted and especially having the spinal cord injury. And so how did you overcome that discouragement when the doctors shared that potentially you would never walk again? Well, I think that you talked about angels. I met, it was a lady who was like, they have visiting therapists to try to get you, they try to get you moving early, right? They try to get your, your limbs to move. So I had two, two people who were, who were introduced to me very early on. Um, I, don't, I don't know them. I don't know their faces. I don't know, like, because I'm not functioning highly, right? But I, I remember what they did. I remember, I remember how passionate they were. I had one vis- physical therapy, so woman, she was Italian. I remember her. I remember her energy. I remember like her talking me out of devastation. Like, no, you're gonna, like, we're gonna, we're gonna figure this out. Like, she was very, very motivational. She would come visit me every day on the floor, um, and she's had this energy about her that I would never forget. And although she may have been lying to me to some extent at that moment, she had me think that how I looked wasn't as as bad as how I thought I looked. That's a major part of it. What you think you look like, because we, we also are concerned about that. The person outside looking at you, how they talk to you is really important for your recovery. That's a very critical part that no one talks about in recovery is how people are around you, how family are, the kind of specialist you that you choose. They have to believe that you're not as bad as you are. They have to lie to you to some extent. So that would help with, I was going to ask you, you know, when you're in a situation like that, the mindsets of what you had to overcome, what you had to deal with. And we all know the mindset is, you know, how we think about a situation like, oh, this is too difficult. This is impossible. This will never work. And that type of mindset keeps you stuck. It keeps you dormant. 
And it sounds like this therapist was helping you overcome any mindsets that wanted to settle in with you during that time, because had you given up, had you adopted that mindset, you would not have been as determined as you were. Like you said, before your accident, you were a very determined person. You were always making things work and your work ethic. It seems to me that you brought that into your time of recovery and your rehab, your work ethic has brought you to this place where you are doing incredible things in your life, overcoming the discouragement, the impossibilities. And out of the ashes, you've created beauty. Yeah, and, and it's and it's um, you know, you, you have you have your your um you have moments of extreme weakness, and I think that's where the people matter, mm-hmm. you know. When, 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 you're, when you're alone in a hospital and, there's, and the, fan, the, the, the noise ends, right? The, the visits end, the, the energy ends. That's when the person like the therapist nurse comes in because they, they, they fill those little micro holes that can turn to big holes inside of your, your person. They, you might not think it's really impacting, but when you have those weak, weak points and when you, I've had a lot of different um, series of different ins and outs with my experience. Like I, from one thing I can say is from the, ex, the extremeness of it, I've had so many different real ups, downs, ins, outs, processes where those, those people plug those little holes that can become bigger holes. Because you can't, with the level of injury, you can't get too low. You can't lose too much of that, that spark because the spark goes dark. And it can go dark very fast. And it, it can stay dark. It can stay dark. So those people around you really matter. Um, and I think that the other person I was going to mention is that I had a, a lady I used to go, like I mentioned, I was very, I was very health conscious when I was in Philadelphia. I would go get these clinics from this lady. Her name was Aiko. I don't know if Aiko's still alive. She was an older lady. And she visited me. My girlfriend, a friend of mine, went to go get her from Philadelphia. We'd bring her to the hospital like every day. They would drive an hour, hour and a half to get her and bring her to the hospital. And she would just move my body. It was against hospital rules. But oh, she, I bet. <laughs> but she, her belief system was that you have to move because if you don't move, your, your, your injuries will, your injuries will, will become, become set, and your body will think that it is set, and your body will also not recover. That was her belief, and that's something that I asked for at my bedside. I don't know why I asked for her, but I asked for her. Mm. And there's pictures of her little 411 lady on top of the bed, moving me, moving me. And she always say, don't drink. She was like, no cold, no cold. She always say, no cold. Everything has to be warm, no cold. And you have to move. Those are two things she always says. And it was like, E-I-K-O. And I I, I don't know why I asked her, but I asked her at my bedside and, and people brought her and she was, she, she had so much love for me for how we had how our relationship before I got injured. So I see her often. 
that she came from Philadelphia to, to make, you know, she's like, you're going to, we're going to get you up. We're going to move you. So I, I, I have no use of my, I have no control, but she was massaging my feet, massaging my legs, moving my, and she was, you know, encouraging um, a different kind of approach to my wellness. And that's a major part of how I approach my wellness. I've taken some different direction. Again, like you were asking the question about the doctors and what they said, doctors said I wasn't going to do well. I wasn't going to be functioning. I wasn't going to recover. I was um, one doctor, um, one spinal, spinal cord doctor said I'll never, I'll never be physical again. I never could, could, could really take an impact. I never could, like, I have to be careful. I'm a full risk. I have to be careful of falling out of my bed, falling out of my chair. I have to be careful of how people hug me. These are all things they said to me very early on because that's how fragile I was. So, so somebody like her coming in my life early, like I was saying that that micro holes that you have to fill for a different kind of way of looking at life, help you to, to when you have more control, you can then build on those things. You can build, build. It's just still your responsibility to take control of the narrative, but you have to have people around you who to, to fill those little holes that can become bigger. And I, that was a, my next question is for anyone who's listening, who is in a sudden loss transition of any kind, Boomi, how critical is the support system for you to come out on the other side? You've shared about a couple people, but share how critical that support system is, because I think a lot of people go into isolation yeah. or the mindset or the grief. I know you've had to process a lot of grief for sure that if we don't stay in community, we'll believe the narrative that will never be well, or things will never change. So why don't yeah. you share with our listeners how critical it is for them to be in community and to embrace that. Yeah, it's, 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 um, it's the most important thing I would say, aside from the physical therapy and the medical help, it's the most important thing. I can't emphasize it enough that if any, if you are injured or you're going through grief or going through trauma, you have to have people around you that believe in you. Aside from the persona, right? Because remember, my persona was I was physical, I was active, I was a guy at, at the party buying everybody the drinks, I was on the dance floor. That was my persona. But what happens when that goes away? Right? I, I, I struggle a lot with the fact I mentioned earlier that I, that I was, I love to work, I love to career, I love to engage, and I could not work. What happens when you can't work? And that's the persona. I'm a, a part of who I am is I'm a worker. I like to, I like to, I'm a worker on my own, but I love to, I've never been a lazy person. I've never not liked to work. I always wanted to get involved. So what happens when you can't get involved? So when that, when, when that persona is no longer there, somebody around you has to believe that you're, that you are, you're still yourself. You're still a core, you, at the core of you, you're not your persona. That you're still booming. You're still somebody who has value. You're still somebody who enjoys some things. You're still somebody who is intelligent. Even if you can't function mentally, you have to, someone has to believe past the belief. And I love hard. that. That's hard for people, right? That's hard for people who, who only have seen you or enjoyed you in a certain way. I was so hard for my family because they know me as a certain person. They, they, they've had to adapt to who I am now and who I've, 
And I've, and I've come a long way, but there was moments where I did not, I was a shell of myself. Where, you know, how I'm talking to you now, imagine if I was not able to speak, or able to write, or in pain every day. Like, they, they have, they, someone has to be able to endure that, which is, in a supportive space, it's very difficult to find people who can endure that. It's a special, special, special person who can, can say, you might need somebody to wash you, or, or to wipe you, or help you go to the bathroom, or to feed you, but you're still booming. That's a very, very, very hard to find. And I don't fault anybody. I've learned now that and my grief has been around that a lot because I've had to learn that it's nobody's fault because no one expects these things. It takes adjustment. It takes time. It takes new relationship. It takes forgiveness. It takes, it takes you mourning, people, people mourning who you were. You have to have a funeral for who you were. And people have to have a funeral for who you were with themselves. They have to say, you know what? The boomy that did X, Y, and Z, we loved him. The boomy that's doing X, Y, and Z, we, we love him. It's a different boomy. But the person has to accept that in themselves. And, it's, and, that's, and that's, a, that's a grieving process in itself too. I, you know, me grieving who I, who I was, me grieving like my, my, my career, me grieving, you know, cause I've lost, I've, I've lost the things that I've built so long in terms of like the tangible things that we, we aspire to in life. You know, the, the family things you want to build, the career things you want to build, the impact you want to make, you know, when you lose those things, you have to grieve those things. You can't say, oh, well, you know, it's, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll be okay. That's, that's like this one. Oh, I'll be okay. I'll be good. No big deal. I'll, I'll build, I'll get it again. You have to say, no, I've lost. And I also can rebuild because I, because I am still who I am past the persona. I am still who I am. You're boomy either way. Exactly. But you're so right to share that because it's difficult to let go of who we thought we were all the things we were physically capable of doing and now we can't. Mm -hmm. And it's like you had to rebuild another world for yourself so that the boomy who you are inside can now show up and shine in a different way, which is what I've personally have seen in you with my experience. Some of you don't know boomy and I, are actually in a mastermind together where we have met every, every, every week for the last almost two years. And even in that two year period, Boomi, I have seen incredible progress. Thank you. I have seen it and I have seen your, you have like at the heart of a lion, you are always looking for something to create. You're always believing for more the vision that you even have for your life is monumental to see how you de- desire to be in marathons and how you still are. I've seen you on IG playing basketball <laughs> in your wheelchair, going up and down, just training your brain to focus. You have never given up. So let me ask you this one question. I know there's been a lot of physical changes to your body as a result of the accident. So 
share with our audience in any ways that you may see yourself differently now, emotionally, mentally, maybe the way that you think or see life. Is there anything significantly different in the boomy before the accident and the boomy now? Have you seen anything different about you that is, you know, in transition, we're, we're transformed, we grow as we embrace them and we're changed. So can you share with us anything different, any changes that you've experienced beyond the physical? So, so um, how I met you, Debbie, was, was through a, a speaking program, right? Through a, a stage program. Um, and I joined that stage program because I wanted, I knew that my speech wasn't really great. I was having issues with my speech. Yes. Issues with, with speaking because of my brain injury. And I intentionally put myself in a program to improve my speech. I, I, never, I never imagined being in a mastermind and doing all these other things, but I really just wanted to learn how to speak again in a way where I could articulate, I could capture my words. And I struggled with that for a long time. So I intentionally said, I'm going to put myself in this program, which is like another, re- for me, it was a rehab. No one knows that, but that, that's what it was for me. That's, that's what I camouflaged as. This. this is my rehab, my speech rehab. So that's why I intentionally did that. But I think for me, who I was, um, always very charismatic people person, always very busy. Who I am now, I'm much more kind. I have a concept of love that's different. That's not conditional. Um, I'm not afraid the same way. You know, I, I had a lot of fears when I was before my injury. I had a lot of fears of like what people thought of me and and how I was going to be received and my success and you know how I was going to climb the ladder and be recognized. I was I was into like you know I, I wanted to do things because I wanted to see outcome outcome outcome. I feel like now. It's more heart centered. I do things because I really just love to do things without expectation of what's going to happen on the other side of something. And that's a that's a nuance that some people may get, but it's a big thing for me because my heart, my my fall has opened my heart. Mm. My fall has opened my heart for sure. Um, my generosity is greater, and I was generous before. I think people would say, and I'm saying this to people who know me, but. I'm more generous. I'm more thoughtful now than I've ever been. Um, from a spiritual space, my belief in, in my creator is stronger. Um, my prayer life is stronger. It took me a, a while to not be upset about, you know, about transition and, and what it means. And, and, but I know something's kept me. And I, I know that what I've experienced there's nothing in the world you can explain about it. it. No matter how many details I tell you, there's no way to explain the actual occurrence. There's no way to explain, you know, um, the angels where you go from the advisory to put me in a nursing home to not going to a nursing home to going to going to a rehab and meeting people who who um, allow me to enhance my life and expand my life. Going back to my first place I stayed that was my, my, my block that I grew up on. Just a lot of things are just uncanny that have happened, right? 
where, yes. where, where I'm living, where I lived for the first three years when I first got injured was this next door to my place I grew up as a kid. Wow. So I do see my experience as an opportunity to reset because, because I've had to go back to the very core. Uh, I had to, you know, my, my house and my, my belongings and, and, and uh, my career and my money and all the things that people are, you know, that are important. My friends, I had to let, let all that stuff go. And I had to go back to my childhood to some degree, go back to where it all started. And had to like, you know, start myself again. And, and that's humbling. And I would say in my spiritual space is that when I was in a hospital, my vision, got, I, 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 would, I, would, I would see things. I would, I would, your audience is a spiritual audience because you're a spiritual person. I would see things. I believe it. I would see things. Things would come to me very clearly. It was no difference between my, my, my wake state and my dream state. And what I learned is that in my wake state, in my dream state, the disruption of that came when people who doubted that experience began to talk down about that experience. So for your audience who has the ability to see, if you have the ability to see, be very careful who you have around you who don't, who don't have the ability to see or don't want you to see. Because I believe in those kind of powers. I believe that things happen, either you may be born with it or something happens to you that enhances. You lose something, you gain something else. And what I've gained and what I still have is I have this really deep ability to, to see and my dream state are very accurate. And I, got, and I didn't have that before. I, I thought, you know, I, I felt like I was a visionary, but I didn't have this thing. I didn't have that to be able to attract the things that are happening to me, to meet you, Debbie, and how I met you, and the, the sequence of how I met you, are very, if, you, if, if people knew the behind the scenes of how they happened, it's very, very uncanny. And it happens to me every day. It happens to me every day. I love the fact that you say that because there is so much going on around us and I always pray that I'm able to see because when we see, we, we see the things that we need for our lives or for us to give to others. And I loved how you use that word reset. And I think that's what happens in a sudden loss transition. There is a total reset of your life. And what I love about you, Boomi, is you chose the reset, you chose hope, you chose a future, you chose to rise. And that would be my encouragement to everyone who's listening. And Boomi, you could say it much better than I, that there is still hope, you know, to find that strength, that whatever has happened is not the end of your story because it could be the beginning of a new one that has things for you to discover about yourself. And like, as you said, Boomi, your, your heart opened, mm -hmm. which is so beautiful. That is such a gift. It's a gift from God because your heart could have closed 
and your life would not be what it is now. Absolutely. And that's my encouragement to everyone who's listening. And if you ever, you know, want to get in touch with Boomi, I know he would welcome hearing from people that just maybe need that encouragement, that hope to understand the possibility of transformation. Let me ask you one final question, Boomi. Sure. If you could create a billboard that everyone would see as they drive by, what would you want to put on that billboard? What phrase? I would say um, you are more than what you ever imagined. You are so much more than what you ever imagined. I love that. That inspires me to, to dream and to think higher and deeper. Yeah, we, can, we, only, we only can see what we, what, our, what our, a lot of time our physical brain allows us to see. And we have to be courageous enough to believe in what we can't see. Because there's always possibility on the other side. Absolutely. And, you know, I always talk about transitions being the bridges in life. And I feel like today, Boomy, you took us from that part of the bridge where, to me, the sudden loss transition is like it, it's a messy part. It's, there's a lot of pain and a lot of doubt and a lot of things to wrestle with. But you've given us hope to believe that even in spite of what happened in your life, what happened to your physical body, that the, the human spirit can rise because there is a life to live and there is wholeness and clarity on the other side waiting. Those divine appointments are waiting for you on the other side of transition and how important it is for all of us to keep moving forward wherever that transition is calling us into. I'm so grateful that you were here today. You have an incredible story, an incredible journey. And I highly encourage everyone who's listening today. Uh, Boomi, how could they find you if they would like to connect with you? Sure. So um, social media is, is I'm active there. Um, Facebook, Boomi, B-U-N-M-I, Samuel. Uh, S-A-M-U-E-L, also on Instagram, same, Boomi Samuel. Um, Twitter, if, you, if you're a, a Twitter person, you tweet, um, Scene Changer, S-C-E-N-E-C-H-A-N-G-E-R, Scene Changer. Um, and I'm very responsive. One, one thing that I, Debbie mentioned, I really take, um, I take responding and communicating and, and supporting um, people who need support very seriously, so I will always respond. Uh, if you want to email me, my, M-Y, able, A-B-L-E, world, W-O-R-L-D, at gmail.com, myableworld at gmail.com. Um, sometimes you just need somebody to talk to and to see your blind spots, see what you can't see and be encouraging. So I would love to be that to people who are, who are, who are in need of it. And for my listeners, I will have all of Boomi's contact information in our show notes 
you know, Boomi has a company called Able World. It's a company that advises and coaches on transformation and mission alignment. And of course, we know he's so creative. He has another company called Pants and Sleeves. It's a creative design and developmental agency. And I've seen some of the things that Boomi has created. It's fantastic. Fabulous. Well, I'm so grateful that we had this time together to hear your story, to see the beauty of the human spirit rise out of the ashes and create a life that has been transformed, is being transformed, and you are transforming others. Your story is powerful. Your heart is beautiful. And I'm honored to call you my friend. It's been amazing. Thank you so much, Debbie. You're, you're amazing. And I appreciate our friendship. I feel the same way. A divine intervention that we met. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us today on the Transition Bridge podcast. We appreciate you. If you enjoyed listening today, please go ahead and subscribe or review the show on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to check out the show notes. And for more information about Debbie, go to DebbieRonka.com. That's D-E-B-I-R-O-N-C-A dot com.